0: If you have your Bible which I hope you do, please would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're in need of a Bible, there's some Bibles by the door. Our heart is to be able to give those to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in our study this evening. It's a busy time of year, it's a stressful time of year. So thankful that you're here to worship the Lord, to seek the Lord. I've got a direct question for you as we begin our study tonight is that do you expect God to move in your life tonight? I think that this section of scripture especially, I know for me personally, in the past and in the present right now, this section of scripture is extremely meaningful in my life. It has great, great application. I can guarantee this because of who God is and the power of his truth. If we apply the truths that we find in this chapter, there will be freedom that comes in our lives, strongholds that God breaks. So I pray tonight you're fed, I pray tonight you're encouraged that God ministers to you. So would you join me in prayer? Father, as we come and we spend time in your word tonight and we look at the strongholds that are in our lives, God, we pray that we would be awakened to the battle that we find ourselves in that it's a spiritual battle, it's not physical, that we would understand the weapons that you've given to us, that we would utilize them, that we could take our thoughts captive and we know that you've died for us, you've risen from the dead for the sake of freedom so that we could enjoy victory over sin. And sometimes we get so discouraged, we don't see that there could be any way out. We pray tonight that you would really minister to our hearts, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Strongholds, a dictionary definition, is a well-fortified place or fortress. Also, a place that serves as the center of a group, as of militants, or of a person holding a controversial viewpoint. So we think of a military conflict, if there is one group of soldiers that have gained the higher ground, have gained the fortress, they have a stronghold. What takes place in our lives spiritually in our relationship with the Lord is over compromise and rebellion over a period of time, failure in a particular area over and over again. We give territory over to the enemy, Satan, and it becomes a stronghold of defeat. He has the higher ground. Now the reason that he has the higher ground is because we've given it to him. God's won the victory. Christ has died for our sins. He's rose again. He has no place to have that territory, but because of continual failure, continual compromise in that particular area, then it becomes a stronghold. Almost to the point when we begin to look at some of those areas of our lives, we have no hope for victory. It's not that we don't want victory, it's not that we have an attempted victory, but when we do apply ourselves and we do try, a lot of times it only circles back around to defeat. And Paul, in the middle of this chapter, he addresses this, he addresses the strongholds that have been created and also gives us a plan, gives us a roadmap of how we can find victory through Christ Jesus. What's interesting is this discussion of strongholds is brought to us of Paul trying to work out a conflict with the church of Corinth. They're starting to look at him sideways, they're questioning his leadership, and as he ends this letter, he gets back to this theme of encouraging them to not know him according to the flesh, but to know him according to the spirit. And in the midst of that conversation, he slips in this truth about strongholds. So let's look in verse one of chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, am bold towards you. Paul, he's saying, I'm pleading. I'm pleading with meekness, which is power under control. He's also pleading with gentleness. He's, he's coming at them with truth in a gentle manner. There's this rumor about Paul that, well, Paul's bold with letter, but he is weak and feeble in person. He comes really strong when he sits down and writes a letter but he won't speak those things to you face to face. And that's a criticism of Paul. It may be a a way that you say, well this person's really direct over email but they would never say these things in person. They're they're really direct over a, a text but they wouldn't say these things on the phone. And that was kind of the criticism or the accusation that was being brought against the Apostle Paul. In verse two, it says, but I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with the confidence which I tend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And Paul's saying, when I do get to finally come visit you, I don't want to have to be bold. I don't wanna have to come to you in a disciplinary manner. That's the purpose of me writing these letters to you. I would love to come and be able to enjoy fellowship with you and then here at the end of verse two, he says, some of you think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. They're seeing Paul through a fleshly viewpoint and if you're new to the scriptures or just a tune up, this idea of what does it mean to know somebody according to the flesh, and the scriptures, it's talking about our sinful nature is, is our flesh. So if we're knowing someone according to the flesh, we're focusing on their sin. We're focusing on, on what we see. We're failing to see them as who they are in Christ Jesus. And that's difficult to do, isn't it? We see each other in the flesh. We see our, our physical bodies. We see each, our shortcomings. It's hard to look at you and for you to look at me and to see a new creation in Christ Jesus. The Father looks at us, through the son. He sees us in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying is don't know me according to the flesh. Know me according to the spirit. And then we jump right into it. We get into the meat of the text. And verse 3 says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh." Paul admits we walk in the flesh. What is he admitting there? He's human. He's made of dust. He has a sinful nature. He battles in the flesh. He walks in the flesh. Paul had to do life just the way we did. At times, he was sick. He had bad days. I'm sure he was cranky. We know he sinned. He was in covetousness. He admits that in Romans chapter 7. He says, I do walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. And here's the three things tonight, I think, are the takeaways that God would lead us to this place of freedom, is first is realize our battle. Realize our battle. That's number one. First and foremost in realizing our battle is you have to understand tonight, church, is that you are in a battle, I think one of the greatest ways that Satan deceives us is he gets us comfortable to the point where we don't think that we're in a battle. The moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, you are swimming against the the current. You are going upstream, battling against Satan, battling against our flesh in this sinful world. If you're unsure about this, Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He would love to destroy this church. And we've entered into that battle, this spiritual battle for souls. But if we're not careful, we get to this place where we don't even realize that the spiritual battle is taking place. So, first, understand that you are in a real battle. I'm in a real battle. And then secondly, what's the nature of our battle? I mean, what is it that's so unique about this battle? And what does it say here? It's not according to the flesh. It's spiritual and it's not physical. I'll admit this, I'll be one of the first to admit, I'm slow to realize that there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. I tend to look through life through that physical lens, only looking at the physical components and then, duh, oh yeah. (laughs) There's the spiritual component. There's the spiritual battle that needs to take place. I bet that this is a lesson that the Apostle Paul learned well as he was planting churches, going to these lost areas at the forefront of these dark regions, he had to have personal experience with the fact that indeed he was in a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. I wanna take some time to really develop this in scripture. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, "'For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, "'but against principalities, against powers, "'against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Process that for just a moment. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You think the conflict is between you and your spouse, you and your kids, you and your neighbors, you and a family member, you and society, who knows? You go, there's this huge personal conflict that's taking place, and God in his wisdom is saying, it's not a personality struggle, It's not a struggle with you and that person. It's part of Satan's tactics to destroy our lives. And what we're actually wrestling against are these spiritual entities, the demonic realm, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. A lot of times we don't even realize it. God's describing it for us. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. We get a picture of this, in a couple places in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter nine, Daniel is praying, he's fasting, he's crying out to God, and he hears nothing for three weeks. He hears nothing for 21 days. Then Michael, the archangel, comes to visit him, and this is what he says in Daniel chapter 10. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard And I have come against because, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone with the king of Persia. Wow. So here, Daniel prays. The angel comes to answer the prayer the first day, but who's he resisted by? The prince of Persia, that's what the scripture says here, of the kingdom, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Do you know what modern day Persia is? Iran. So what the scripture's saying is there's this spiritual entity there, this demon there, that the prince of the kingdom of Persia that wrestles with the angel, and then Michael the archangel comes to aid him. When that takes place, they win this particular battle, and then the answer is for Daniel. And you're, you look at something like that and you're like, man, I just don't even think in that dimension very often. I don't even think in that reality very often. But yet, we get a little window into this. One of my favorites comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. We find Elisha with his servant. And the Syrian army has surrounded them. His servant's freaking out. And this is what Elijah said. He says, hey, there's more with us than are with them. And the servant's like, you need glasses, man. Vision is they're running a great special. You can get two pairs for $99. You know, like, like look around so that we're extremely outnumbered. I don't know what, what you're seeing. And then Elisha prays that God would open his eyes to be able to see into this other dimension. And I think that's really the prayer for us. God, help us to see the nature of our war. Lord, help us to see ways that the enemy's attacking us and we're not even realizing it. We're not even fighting it the right way. We're not not even on the, the right battlefield. We're in the physical, but God is in the spiritual and this battle is taking place in the spiritual. So this is 2 Kings 6, verse 16. So he answered and said, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elijah. He was able to see into the spiritual realm, to see all of these angels that God had put into place, these chariots of fire, these horses. Elijah was focusing on this the whole entire time. One of the things that I remember my parents praying when they would put us to bed at night is praying that angels would encamp around us and angels would, would encamp around our, our house. When you read the scripture from like a first-time perspective, there's so much about angels and demons, aren't there? It, it's throughout scripture, Genesis to Revelation. I wonder if we could see into this spiritual realm tonight how many angels, the hosts of God's angels that, that he has around us as believers. We know the angels are messengers to, to minister to believers. It's a powerful, powerful truth. Another window that we see of this is with Jesus in the Gospels. He goes to the Mount of Transfiguration, comes down, and the rest of the disciples, only Peter, James, and John were with him, but the rest of the disciples were dealing with a boy who was demon-possessed, and they come to Jesus, they say, we can't cast out this, gen- this demon, what's the deal? Why couldn't we cast out this demon? Jesus addresses their faith, and he also says this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. And it's another one of those times where God's giving us a window into this spiritual realm where he's saying these demons are only shaken by prayer and by fasting. This is an incredibly powerful tool that God has given to us. You may be saying, I don't know what fasting is. It's when you give food to seek the Lord. You you say, I'm gonna give up this lunch. I'm gonna give up food today to seek the Lord. I'm gonna cry out to the Lord in prayer. And God moves. He breaks the bonds of wickedness through fasting. You see this spiritual battle that's taking place in your home, taking place in culture, taking place in our church maybe. And the response of, I'm gonna respond by praying and fasting. I'm gonna cry out to the Lord, draw near to God, knowing that there is something unique that God does through prayer and through, through fasting. I've been reading in 2 Corinthians in my devotions, it's just where I happen to be, and I was in chapter 10 this week, and it really opened my eyes. You know when you're reading the scripture, and then it just hits you and you know, that's exactly what I need to hear. And I, and I read this verse, I read verse three, we do not work according to the flesh, and it was as if the Holy Spirit was saying, Eric, that's for you. You've been fighting on the wrong battlefield. It's spiritual. You need to engage in this. This is exactly what you need to hear in this season. So how do we engage in this battle in verse four? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So carnal means fleshly. So our weapons are not fleshly. They're not just that we go about it through our own strength, through our own efforts. Goodness gracious, I hope that Christ and the scriptures and the gospels a lot more than behavior modification. That's what the world has. The world has that. You know, self-help, all of those kind of things, where does that lead? Well, for me, it leads to destruction. I need a savior. I need more than self-help, you know. I need God to, to work in my life. And so it's not these fleshly tools. It's not the carnal things, but it's this. It's The weapons that God provides but are mighty in God, the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the purpose of pulling down our strongholds. So here's our second point. It's to utilize our weapons or utilize our weapons. I heard on the news today that there was a homeless man in Aspen. First of all, that's just kind of crazy in and of itself. You know, they're, they're, really, there's homeless people in, in Aspen, but a 61-year-old homeless man uh, in Aspen, he spent 10 bucks on a lottery ticket, and he won. He won $300,000, and he went, and guess what? He utilized that lottery ticket. Now, before you go too far with this, I don't think playing the lottery is a good idea. I'm not advocating that, but here's my point, is he had a winning ticket, and he used it, and he got that $300,000, And we have a winning ticket in the sense of the weapons that God has provided for us, but are we using them? A lot of times we we have this, what God's given, but we don't use it, we don't put it into practice. And God says right here that they're mighty in God. They're powerful. So his weapons are stronger than the strongholds in our lives, that God can pull them down for his glory and for his power in our lives. So what are these weapons that God has given to us? And this is the first and foremost, and it may not be the number one that comes to your mind. If you're a student of the scriptures right now, you go, I know where you're going. You're gonna go to Ephesians chapter six, to the armor of God. And I am gonna go there, but I do think that that's secondary when it comes to our spiritual weapons. And you're like, what are you smoking? What what got into Pastor Eric? And I think bear with me on this, I think our number one spiritual weapon is the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and the resurrection, and a lot of times we leave that out in this discussion, and we go right to the armor of God, because we think about what was accomplished when Jesus died upon the cross, and sin was paid for, the power of sin was broken, Satan was defeated, buried, all of our sin, the power of sin buried and risen in newness of life. The stronghold has already been defeated because of what Christ has done. So we think about what's some struggle that we have in our life? What's some compromise that we have in our life that we can't get over? Christ has died to forgive us. We have to know that and stand on that. Christ has died for us and rose again so that power could be broken in our lives, that we could be set free, that we could have the hope of freedom. And if we leave that aside, if we don't apply that first and foremost, I think we've lost our greatest weapon. So how would we apply that? We begin to look at the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and we apply it to the struggle. That's Romans chapter 6. My old man's been crucified with Christ. It's been buried, and I'm risen in newness of life. Do you ever have to remind your sinful nature that it has been crucified, that it's not in charge, that Christ is in charge, that it's powerless? We do, don't we, every day, daily. And so that's our first weapon, is to know that the tomb is empty and we're raised in resurrection life. Jesus said that the same spirit or excuse me, Paul wrote it, but ultimately from the Holy Spirit. He said the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. So first and foremost, our weapon is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter six. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter six, just a little bit to the right. And we see these weapons that the Lord has given to us in this spiritual battle. Ephesians six, verse 10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the wiles of the devil, they're real. The schemes of the devil, they're real. God has provided this armor to enable us to stand. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rules of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So God says this is what you need to do. First and foremost, you need to gird your waist with truth. So think of a Roman soldier. How many of you guys can picture a Roman soldier in your mind? Everybody? Pretty much everybody? All right, half your hands are working, hopefully all of your minds are working. You can picture it, right? And from what I've studied and what I've read is that one of the most important pieces of their armor was their belt, everything connected to their belt. And you think of a police officer today, everything's connected to that belt. When it comes to the spiritual battle, it all hinges on truth, and we're, we're putting on truth, we're applying truth to our hearts and our lives. And then the breastplate, Of righteousness. Now, whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. The breastplate covers the heart, that part of the armor, and what it covers us, it protects us. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, this is powerful. The Roman soldiers and their sandals, it was revolutionary for their warfare. And for us, every step that we take to know that we step in the gospel of peace, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven, and also. I'm preparing to share with others. I'm preparing to share with others. So we're putting on the gospel of peace. God, as I go through my day today, help me to know that I'm going to heaven and I need to be a witness to as many as possible so hopefully they can come with me. And having taken the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked ones, a Roman soldier with his shield as the darts would come at him, these, these darts that are on fire, Satan's throwing these fiery darts at us, The shield of faith. Maybe you feel especially attacked this evening. How do you respond to the attack of the enemy? The shield of faith. Trusting that God's with you. Trusting God's promises. Lifting that shield of faith as that protection from the fiery darts. And the helmet of salvation, our thoughts, what covers our thoughts? Salvation. That Christ has died for me, which is the word of truth. And then it tells us, praying always with prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, the utterance shall be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And mixed with all of these different pieces of the armor, the sword of the spirit that God has given to us, the only offensive one that, uh, offensive piece of the armor, what ties this all together is to be in the attitude of prayer. Now, this is not an in-depth study of the armor of God. This is a very quick read of the army of God, but I'd encourage you to take this section of scripture, pray it through, and see how you can utilize it and your weapons to be able to overcome the strongholds. God's given us the weapons, prayer, his word. And as you study Ephesians chapter six, every piece of the armor points to Jesus Christ. Do you see that? So he is truth, he is righteousness, he is peace. He is all of these things. And other parts of scripture tell us to put on Jesus Christ. When you're putting on the armor, you're putting on Jesus Christ. And as we do this, as we utilize our weapons, the strongholds come down. Now, it gets even more detailed and more specific in verse five. You guys with me, you okay? Is this too much on a Wednesday night? You're like, so what have we covered so far? We're in a battle, we realize our battle, we utilize our weapons, the gospel, Ephesians chapter six, and then we own our mission in verses five and six. This is our mission. This is how would the strongholds come down, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The strongholds in our lives go deeper than our sin struggles. They are our sin struggles, but notice this every argument and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How many things in our lives is an argument against the knowledge of God that needs to be brought into captivity? How many conversations do we hear throughout the day where it's an argument against the, the knowledge of God where we've gotta bring that thought into captivity? How many things are being thrown at us through media, where it's, whether it's social media, the internet, TV, movies, music, and it's an argument against the knowledge of God that's got to be brought into captivity. So yes, it is my sin struggles, my failures, these areas of compromise in my life, but it's also all of these things that are being thrown, thrown at me. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, that has the imagery of idolatry. That can be a stronghold in my life. It, It's a thing, it's a physical thing that's become more important to me than the Lord. It's warring against the knowledge of God, the knowledge of of Jesus Christ, and these things have gotta be cast down. And then how do you do it? Take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. I think a better word for captive is hostage for us. We understand what that word means, hostage. The idea of, of taking someone hostage is an act of aggression. It it takes a very purposeful intent. So we have these thoughts that are against the knowledge of Christ, whether it's a sin struggle or an argument that's being thrown against us. And instead of just being passive about it, then we're aggressive through the tools that God has given us, and we take that thought captive. We take that thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. So maybe this struggle is lust. Instead of just going, well, boys will be boys and girls will be girls, I'm gonna live with this, this is the way things go, we realize, okay, this is a stronghold in my life, it's an area that I've walked in defeat, my thoughts are not being in captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, so I'm gonna be proactive, I'm gonna be aggressive, I'm gonna be on the move, I'm not gonna justify it any longer, here's where the thought comes in and now I'm going to take it captive to The obedience of Jesus Christ. How do you do that specifically? Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted. He's being tempted in this way, things that are against the Father. And every time he quoted Scripture out loud, he quoted Scripture out loud. And he didn't quote long sections of Scripture, he didn't say out loud the book of James by memory. He didn't quote Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. He used short sections of scripture that all came from Deuteronomy. He had been meditating on Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was in his heart, man shall not live by bread alone. Hey, I have the capacity to remember man shall not live by bread alone. They're just these short little sections of scripture. So we know, we probably know the stronghold in our life. Some area that we have continued to walk in defeat is we memorized two or three verses, maybe even one, that's gonna be our go-to verse with that struggle. All of a sudden, I'm having a thought that doesn't honor the Lord. Instead of just letting it linger, I then attack it. I take it captive. I take it obedience by using the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which the Lord has given to me. He's given me that tool. I'm gonna say the word of God out loud. Then I'm gonna run to Jesus Christ, the living word. Go to his throne room, and ask for help in time of need, because he was tempted. He never sinned, but he was tempted. Jesus, would you help me? Saying the word out loud, running to Jesus, and over a period of time of doing that, it's not that sin ever goes away, that the struggle ever completely goes away, but that stronghold becomes broken in my life. Church, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had a stronghold be broken in their life? Can you give me an amen? Amen. And isn't it so freeing? And sometimes it's years, isn't it? Because we bring in some baggage before we got saved. We bring in some baggage of things that we took in, that we consumed in, in our lives. And that's all in the junk of our minds. It's in, in the junk of our hearts. And the enemy loves to bring that stuff out. And we know we're forgiven, but we're not experiencing freedom. And we oh, there, there's no hope. Yeah, there's hope. It might be two months, it might be two years, it might be three years, but respond in that same way. I'm taking the word of God, I'm speaking it out loud, I'm taking that thought captive, and then eventually we find God's word to be true that the stronghold becomes broken in our lives. And we go, man, normally, historically, I would have responded in anger. I would have responded in pride. I would have responded in lust. I would have responded in covetousness. But I've seen God do this tremendous work of victory. Now, please hear me out on this. I think that one of the ways that Satan robs us is he begins to get us to doubt the word of God and go, there's no way that you could have victory. There's no way that you could change, that God could change your life. And so we walk in defeat, we walk in unbelief, and we're not gonna experience God working in our lives if there isn't faith. Remember the centurion came to Jesus on behalf of his paralyzed servant, his paralyzed soldier, and he said, if you just speak the word, I know that my servant will be healed. He came in faith, he came in anticipation, he believed the word of God. And sometimes we have to get back to that place of believing what God's word says. I want you to look down at your Bible. Let's go back to, as we're back in 2 Corinthians 10, and what does it say there? It says this to us. It says, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. You utilize the weapons. You own your mission, which is to take every thought captive and God will bring down the stronghold. How come the thoughts? Isn't it easy to say, well, thoughts are thoughts and they're not hurting anybody. It's private. Well, God, first and foremost, he knows our thoughts. He knows. He sees. He sees all things. And he's concerned with with the heart. And he knows that thoughts never stay thoughts. Thoughts unchecked become actions. And actions become our character. The battle is won and lost with the thoughts. That's why he says take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The stronghold might be bitterness. And every time you think about this person, all you can think about is their destruction. You've gotta bring that thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. It's hugely applicable if we'll do it. Memorizing scripture, quoting it out loud, running to Jesus Christ. Another tool that I believe that God has given to us is brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I get another amen? Many times the victory is gonna come when we have the brokenness and the transparency to confess to one another, where we're engaging in this battle We're praying, we're quoting scripture, we're wanting to Jesus, but we're also saying, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And God tells us as we confess to one another and pray for one another, there is going to be healing. Look at verse six, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. How do you punish disobedience? By being obedient. So this is the mindset as we go through our lives, is not being casual towards strongholds, not being casual toward our sin, not being casual towards these arguments that are thrown throwing at us, but being ready to punish it. I know I tend to struggle in this way. I know that this is what is thrown at me, so I'm ready to take it captive. I'm ready to take it hostage. I'm ready to punish that disobedience with obedience. And here's the catch. If we don't take our thoughts captive, they will take us captive. If we don't take them hostage to the obedience of Christ, they will take us hostage and we will then find ourselves living as slaves to a particular sin. Paul then goes back now to this theme of them accepting him and seeing him according to the spirit. I want you to keep this in mind because in about 10 minutes we're gonna come back to this that we've just studied and seek to apply it. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. If Christ has accepted me, then I need to accept others. If I've come to enjoy the fact that I'm robed in Christ's righteousness, then I need to look at other people that same way, and that's what Paul is encouraging them to do. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. Paul says, I do have a place where I could boast in the authority that God has given me to if I so desired. He gives us a great definition of authority. He says it's for edification, not destruction. We're all leaders. God has given us leadership, in different areas of our life, and what's the purpose of that leadership? To build people up. That's edification, not for destruction. Jesus came as the ultimate servant leader where he built people up. It doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean that you don't confront. It does mean all of those things, but the purpose of it is for edification, not for destruction. Verse nine, lest I seem to terrify you by letters, for this, he's quoting what the, Church of Corinth says, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. (laughs) I'm sure Paul didn't really appreciate that too much. They're talking smack about the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Verse 11, Let such a person consider this that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, so we will also be indeed when we are present. Paul's saying, I'm consistent. I'm consistent in the letter, I'd be the same in person. If you guys are questioning whether I can bring it in person, just wait a few months, I'll bring it, you know. That's what he's saying, I'll be consistent either way. Verse 12 is rich, it's a freeing verse. For we do not dare class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. So there's some that were going around tooting their own horn, they're, they're commending themselves, they want everyone to, to see all of the good that they're doing, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and conve- comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Maybe this is a trap of all cultures to compare with one another, but I think it's especially in the Western culture. It's just so easy, even in God's church, in the kingdom of God, to compare ourselves with one another. We look at the gifts of other believers, the strengths of other believers. And and we start to go, man, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be used by that. I I wish I could communicate like that. And we begin to compare. Think about parenting. Sometimes as as parenting, we, we, we compare each other and we rack and stack our parenting by looking at our friends or our other people in the church. And where we really should be evaluating our parenting is before God and making sure that we're lining up with what God wants us to be and that we're approved by the Lord. But if we're honest, sometimes you know, who wants to be the one that's seen as that parent, right? You know, oh man, they're, they're the kid, parent of, of that kid, or, or this, and, and we're trying to save face and save save image. I think for me, in pastoral leadership, this is always a challenge. You know, on Friday night, I got blessed to be a part of a building dedication for Mile High Calvary, and it was a, a wonderful celebration. And, you know, three other pastors were there, and we were able to to do it together, and we're great friends and great fellowship, and it's easy to drive home and go, man, I wish I could communicate like that pastor, you know, he's, he's really got it, you know, and it's just, it's something that's always there, if you're not, if you're not careful, instead of doing this, is going, I'm going to rejoice in who God has made me, and try to glorify God inside of my own gifts, and my own personality, now that's freeing, isn't it? That is freeing because it's difficult to be in this place if we're comparing ourselves with others, but it's a joyful place to go. This is how God has made me, and I want to honor him in the way that he has made me. Galatians 1.10 says, For I do not persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I pleased men, I would not be able to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. As long as I'm comparing myself with others, I'm missing the real place I'm supposed to be looking and that is to be a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, we however will not boast beyond measure but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed to us, a sphere which especially includes you. This word sphere has the idea of lanes in a race where you have to stay in your lane. And Paul's saying, God has given me certain leadership and authority, and I'm gonna make sure to stay inside of that lane, but Church of Corinth, it includes you. So I'm not gonna boast, but I am going to assume the leadership that God has given me, assume the leadership that God has called me to. In verse 14, for we not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of the things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Paul's saying God used us to bring you the the gospel and plant the church, so it's appropriate for me to address you on these things. A great example is if you're a parent, God's given you a sphere of influence in their life, and it's right for you to assume that in training, and in discipline. But it's wrong to assume that in other people's kids' lives. You know, If you went over to the grocery store and just started disciplining every child that was in there and speaking into those kids' lives the way you do with your own kids, we'd probably be coming to do a jail visit for you. You know what I'm saying? It's just not appropriate. You know, you're not their mom. You're not their dad. But it is appropriate with where God has given you leadership, and so that's that's wise. That's wisdom, Lord. Where have you given me leadership? I want to make sure that I'm fulfilling that, but I don't want to overstep my bounds. I don't want to. I don't want to go be charging someone, that encouraging someone, exhorting someone that I haven't been giving that sphere of influence. In verse sixteen, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. Verse 17, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. This comes from Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So it's not about what people think of us, it's about being faithful to the Lord and giving all of the glory, and glorying in the fact that we know Him. And if we're glorying in that, we're glorying in His grace, because it's by His grace that we know the Lord. And we end in verse 18, "For not that he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends." This is huge. There was people that were going around saying, "I'm an apostle. I'm a pastor. I'm a spiritual leader. And they were simply approving themselves. They were propping themselves up. And that'll go so far. But Paul's saying, that's really no big deal. What I'm desiring is that God would commend me, that God would approve me. That's the, that's the place that we want to be in. Instead of comparing ourselves, let's go back to this area of parenting. Are you approved by God? Do you know that you're doing your best under the Lord? You've sought God in, in your decisions It may not be the way everybody else does it, but it's the way that God has led you to do it. You're in the right place. In your work, are you approved by God? You may not be the most popular. You may not be the one that's getting all the raises, but you can sleep at night because you know you're approved by the Lord. You know you've been doing your best unto the Lord, your person of integrity. That's what we should be desiring. That's what we should be longing for is to be commended by the Lord. So as we end, let's come back to this concept of strongholds, stop fighting in a a spiritual battle in a physical realm. Church, we're in a spiritual battle. I mean, just even think about the events of the last six weeks that have taken place throughout the globe. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And that shooting that took place in in Paris, how many people went to hell because they don't know Christ as their savior? And Satan's going, yes, I came to kill, steal, and destroy. It is a spiritual battle. We need to start looking through that lens of the spiritual and engaging in this spiritual battle that God's given us. So put into action the mighty weapons that God has provided. Take the gospel and begin to apply it to our lives. Jesus, you died for me and rose again. Ephesians chapter 6 Take thoughts hostage to the obedience of Christ. This becomes something that we apply on a moment to moment basis. This is our filter for the way that I'm thinking. Oh, I'm not thinking right about this person. God, I'm not thinking right about myself. There's some of you that you're contemplating thoughts of suicide. That's an argument that comes against the knowledge of God. How do you deal with that? You take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ that ultimately is coming from Satan. That ultimately is coming from the pit of hell. He's saying your life is not worth it, where God says you're created in his image, that your life has great value. He's telling you that your loved ones, that their life would be easier if you're not around, but the truth is that their lives would be devastated. And so it's taking those thoughts and it's bringing them into captivity to to the obedience of Christ. It may be as simple as finances, what does God say about finances? That when we're in debt, we're, we're a slave to the person that we've borrowed from. And okay, Lord, I need to start thinking biblically about, about my finances. I need to take those thoughts into captivity. My thoughts are telling me I really need a cup of coffee right now. I can't get through this day without a cup of coffee. Some of you are going, I need a cup of coffee after hearing you talk for an hour. you know. <laughs> but my budget is saying I can't afford a cup of coffee right now. I can't afford five bucks right now if I go over into five bucks, Starbucks, which is always five bucks, right? Okay, Lord, I need to take my thoughts into captivity of the obedience of Christ. I'm grumbling, I'm complaining. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. It's where the rubber meets the road. I'm gonna leave you with Galatians 5, verse one, and this is what I'd like like you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to put your Bibles down. And I hope you hear the heart of the Holy Spirit, the heart of your Savior, your heart of your Father as you hear this verse. I am gonna read it from the NIV. It's not my favorite translation, but I am going to read from the NIV here. Galatians 5.1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Hear this part. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I believe that God's heart tonight is to begin this process of taking down strongholds. Why doesn't God just wipe out strongholds in the blink of an eye? Because sometimes he wants to develop us through this process of utilizing our weapons, of taking our thoughts captive. He may choose tonight to break down some strongholds in a moment, or he may quietly speak to your heart and say, take up the sword of the Spirit. Take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. He may say, son, daughter, this is going to be a journey, but you will find victory, and you will find freedom. But he came He came to set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Jesus, we just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would take these truths that we've read in scripture. We all have strongholds in our lives. That we could believe your word. That you have given us weapons that are mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds. We ask for a renewing of the mind. That our minds could be cleansed. That our minds could be renewed that you would wash us in the knowledge of your son, wash us in your word, and that as we live this out, that we could take your word and hide it deep within our hearts. That you would provide victory that we never thought possible. We thank you that it's been finished, that you've died for us, that you've risen again. As we come and take communion, may it be an intimate and personal time with you. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.